thank you for joining us today. In this episode, prior members will recount their experiences while inside the religious group I grew up in. If you would like to learn more, share your story, or become a sponsor, please visit us at coltonconnecticut.com. You are now listening to Colton, Connecticut. Well, I was living in New England at the time, and I was married to my ex-husband. I had three children, and I got a call from my sister one night. She was with a group of people from her church, and she wanted to know if she and this group of people could come visit at our home. She wanted to know if we had any needs, and I didn't know what she meant by that. That sounded very odd to me, but I just shrugged that off, and my ex-husband and I agreed that it would be great for them to come. They wanted to share about God and the Lord Jesus Christ, and so I always wanted to hear about him and what, what he was doing in people's lives, so I was very excited, and we were living in a very small town. I hardly ever got to see her at all, so I was excited to meet this group of people she was with. I always looked up to my sister, and they came, and uh, that was the first encounter, I guess you could say, with the King's Chapel. It wasn't what I expected. They stayed a few days and then they left, but that was the beginning of the contact with them. And they let us know when they were having special meetings in Connecticut and we would go down to those. And we were asked to go on a youth ski trip to Italy. And the thought about where the money was going to come from certainly entered my mind, but I was just, I felt so important to be asked to go on this ski trip. And uh, so my ex-husband and I went and the girls stayed with a family in King's Chapel in Connecticut while we were away. So we went on that ski trip and then we were asked to do different things. And eventually we started a house church in our home connected with the King's Chapel. They kept in contact with us and then eventually... We had gone over to England after my dad died, and Gene Spademan had said, well, why don't you come over and have a vacation? So we did, and my mom went as well. And then when we came back, I had asked, did God want us to move down there? And so Gene had said, you should have already known that you were supposed to move down. We had stayed in Connecticut over a weekend, and then we We went back up and packed everything and moved down. We stayed with my mom at first and then moved down to Jewett City and stayed with a family there. And then we were told by Gene Spademan and the other leaders that there was supposed to be this leadership triangle between one of the pastor's house and then this other house that needed to be renovated And then the leader that owned that house was going to build behind it, and there would be a triangle there. So we were like, okay, we believe this is of God, and we'll move down and be there and be leaders in the group. And they made us feel very important as leaders. And so we moved down, and the 
children went to public school and the house was renovated. And after it was renovated and I was told to pick out all the furnishings, all the the wallpaper, the color of the carpet, the staircase and everything. So we lived on the third floor. Well, after a while, we were told we were so bad that we had to leave, that we couldn't stay in that house. And this other family that was in another house in Jewett City was asked to move into where we were living. So we switched places. And eventually, as Jean Spademan made her trips over, there were meetings going on in Norwich at the building where the King's Chapel met, and they would have special meetings. We were asked lots of times to give money. We were called in the middle of the night or during the day, sometimes saying that we were asked to give a special offering for a certain cause, for a certain trip that maybe Jean Spademan and her family were going to take or the leaders were going to take to Florida, to Disney World, or for a building project of one of the pastor's houses. Could be $2,000 or $5,000. And for one offering, we took out a loan. I remember going to the bank and getting that loan for that offering. We didn't have very much money ourselves. And I know most of the other people in the King's Chapel didn't either. But in any case, I remember Jean Spademan going shopping late at night and my sister would go with her lots of times or one of the other women would go with her or she would give me a list and I would go out and buy things and then I would feel obligated to pay for it myself And she would take those items back with her to England, whatever she bought. And it was usually for Christmas gifts for her family. And they would say that the gifts were a symbol of souls coming into God's kingdom. So things were going on like that. And then eventually, my ex-husband and I bought the house that we had been sent into. I would get calls in the middle of the night saying, you know, I had resentment or I had lust in my heart. What was wrong with me? Why do I, why am I doing that? Aren't I doing that? And if I would say no, then they would keep on and Sam, the pastor, would speak for Jean Spademan. She would be right there. And he was her spokesman when she came to the United States. He would say, well, Jean is getting that you do have resentment. And if I said no, not that I know of, he would say, now, come on, you do, don't you? And he would keep on asking until I said, yes, I guess I do. Because being a member of the King's Chapel, I was expected to either believe that Jean heard the voice of Jesus Christ or she didn't. And if I believe she didn't, then I didn't have any business being in there. So my ex-husband and I had chosen to believe that she did hear the voice of Jesus Christ. And the reason is because Jean and the other leaders would tell us things that made us believe that, that she had heard from God at different times where something 
good came about. Maybe she had prayed for a baby and a baby stopped crying or just little things like that, which made you think, well, yeah, I guess she does hear the voice of Jesus Christ. This is going on gradually. It didn't happen overnight. It's a gradual process of mind control where critical thinking is being suppressed constantly out of fear of them and fear of what will happen to you if you confess to a sin, but you don't want to not confess to a sin if they believe you are doing the sin. So it's a no-win situation. Eventually, in 1992, around Labor Day, Sam had called one night and accused me of having lustful thoughts about my own children. So it developed into a situation of sin toward my own children. I talked to him on the phone and he said, well, Jean is getting that you were having these thoughts toward your children, these sexual thoughts. And I said, no. And he said, well, she's getting that you did. And so finally, my sleep had been broken. I woke up out of a dead sleep when he called. And so I, I believed that she did hear the voice of God. So I said, yes. Well, then he said, give the phone to my ex-husband. So he did. And when he got off, he threw the phone down and started beating me up and told me that Sam was coming over and he was going to take me over to where my mother was living and to pack a few things. After he had slapped me in the face a few times and tried to strangle me, The windows were open and I did scream, hoping that someone would hear me, but nobody did. I'm sure that the children in the house heard it all. But Sam did come up and he took me over to where my mother lived and told me to lie down on the floor like a dog because that's what I was. My mother, I don't know what she was thinking, but she just felt really bad, I know, and just didn't know what to say to me. So she just said a little bit and we went to sleep. And I stayed there for about two weeks, I guess it was. And I cleaned the lady's house that owned the house and uh, worked out in her garden and did things like that. And meanwhile, Jean was staying at one of the pastor's houses and One of the other ladies that was a leader called me up one day and came over and slapped me across the face because Jean had asked if I was lusting after her husband. And at that point, I was just saying yes to everything they asked me. So she just broke into the house and knocked me right off the chair. And after that, I started thinking about ways to escape, where I was going to go and what I would do to get out of there because I just couldn't take any more. After that, uh, my ex-husband came and got me one day and took me back to our house and left me there. In the kitchen, there was uh, an application for a mental hospital. So I felt like he was going to put me away 
in a mental hospital at that point. They had secluded me in my own home and sent my children to England. My ex-husband was living in one of the other houses of the leaders of King's Chapel. I had no food except what was left in the refrigerator after my ex-husband left the house. And there were some vegetables left in the garden in the backyard. So I ate that. One day he called after he had come over another time and asked me if I had repented of my sin. And I said, yes. And so he just kept hitting me and yelling at me. And then it was probably a week or so later that he called from work and said that he was going to be coming back to the house and go through my things, go through my purse and everything, and that he wanted me to plan where I was going to go because I had to get out. He, he had been given three choices by Jean Spademan. She can leave or you can all live, you and the kids who were going to be coming home from England could all live in the house together. Or you, my ex-husband and the kids could live where he was living at the time. So he said he chose for me to leave and that he wanted me to be ready to leave when he came back to the house. So I had a duffel bag and I put a couple of changes of clothes in it and my Bible and I got a sleeping bag together and had planned to go to a campground that I knew about in the area that wasn't too far away from Jewett City. And um, so when he came home, he asked me where I was going. And I, for whatever reason, I wouldn't even tell him where I was going. I said, I didn't know. I lied. And I knew that the kids were coming home, that he would take care of them, that they would be okay, even though I felt awful about being told to leave them and having to um, be separated from them. And Jean had asked if I wanted my mother's old car. And I, I said, no, at that point, I was just like, I couldn't really think very clearly at all. And so he watched me walk down the driveway and I walked out of the property and started heading toward the highway it was getting really dark. By the time I got out to the main road toward the campground, there was a lot of traffic and a man stopped and asked me if I wanted a ride. And before he had stopped, I had prayed. I said, I know, Lord, that they said that you've gone out of my life because I'm so bad, but in your mercy, would you please provide somebody nice to give me a ride if you can hear me? And it wasn't two minutes after I prayed that, that this man stopped and he was from Jewett City. I had never seen him before, but he's asked me if I'd like a ride. And I was desperate at that point. I was really hurting from walking so far. So I got in and thanked him and he, he you know, he wanted to know what I was doing, but I, I just wouldn't tell him much of anything and asked me where I was going. And I told him I was going to the campground. He said he was on his way to see his sister in Norwich and 
that he could drop me off at the crossroads. And I, I said, that'd be fine. So when we got to the crossroads, he said, well, I'll take you in to the campground. And I said, well, that'd be great. So he took me in there and he gave me a dime because there were pay phones at that time. And I, I just thought, you know, he said, you need to call your family. You need to call them and tell them where you are. And he was very concerned. And I, I just took the dime and said, thank you, and got out. And I had to walk about a half a mile into the office from the entrance of the campground. When I got there, the young gals who were manning the cash register and taking reservations and everything at the reservation desk uh, were so nice. And they said, the campsite is going to be $20 for the campsite or $25. I, I don't know. It was a lot of money. I said, yes, I would like it because I knew I had the $40 anyway that my ex-husband had given me. And the lady at the desk said, I'll get you a campground. She said, do you want wood? I said, yes. So, she, so I, uh, I got some donuts and some juice and stuff at, in the little store. And, and she said, well, I'll go out there with you and we'll get the wood and all. So I followed her and we got the wood and we got out to the campsite, which was about another half mile, seemed like anyway. She said, is there anything else you need? I said, well, I need matches. So she went to the neighboring campsite and got some matches. And she said, both people are very nice on either side of you. So you don't have anything to worry about there. And so I spread my sleeping bag out on top of the picnic table. And after I ate something, I crawled in and started getting ready to go to sleep and um, a car drove in. I thought, well, nobody knows where I am. You know, who is this? And it was the girl from the desk at the campground and she brought me more food and a list of shelters to call for help. So I stayed there and the next day I was walking out of the campground and there on the left was this phone booth out in the woods and so I got a hold of a lady down in New London at the women's shelter. And she said, if I could get down there, she would help me. And so I said, yeah, I'll, I'll get down there. So I started walking out of the campground and my legs just hurt so badly from walking the night before. And I started walking out toward the main road and this man in this old farm truck started driving up toward me and he was probably in his 80s and he said would you like a ride and I looked at him and I said yes please I, I need a ride oh he said well where are you going and I told him I was going to Norwich I was going to get a bus and take it down to New London and so he said well I'll take you to the crossroads I said well that would be great thank you and we got to the crossroads and he said, well, you know what? I'm not doing anything today, so I'll take you down there. I know exactly where that is. So he took me to the front door of the women's shelter and dropped me off and wished me well. And I went up and um, met the ladies inside and they asked me if my ex-husband had beat me up. And I said, oh no. 
They said no, and I said no. I said no because I was very afraid of them finding out or getting in trouble or, you know, I didn't want to, I still had that in me that I didn't want to get them in trouble. They were right, I was wrong. So one of the volunteers there ended up taking me to Danielson to a shelter up there. So she drove me all the way up there and I ended up staying there in the shelter before I was kicked out of my home by my ex-husband. He said, before you can come back, you need to repent of your sin, get an apartment and get a job. So that's what I had in my mind because I just wanted to get home and get back to my kids and um, have everything be good. So while I was at the shelter, they had a counselor there and she helped me to where the unemployment bureau was. So I went there and applied for jobs there. And then I thought, I'm just going to go down into the town and go store to store until I get a job. And that's what I did. And the first store I went into was a shoe store and they ended up hiring me. And after that, I told the counselor at the shelter that I had gotten the job and and she couldn't believe I had gotten a job right away. And I said, well, can you help me get an apartment? And so they provided the first month's rent and the down payment for an apartment I found where I could walk to work. So from there, I went to that apartment, stayed there, worked at the shoe store. And after a few months, a couple of the ladies from the King's Chapel came to Danielson looking for me and they just happened to see me on the street and they said well let's go in this restaurant and and talk and they started yelling at me and saying you know why why didn't you contact anybody what are you doing so I just said goodbye to them I was just so upset and I didn't want to break down crying right there in the restaurant and then after that, I had contacted the head leader of the King's Chapel and told him that I felt like I had repented, that I wanted to come back, that I wanted to meet with him and the other leaders. And so he set it up for somebody to pick me up. And they brought me back to the house where Gene Spademan was staying. And at the end of the meeting, they said I was too bad. I had to go back. I had not repented. So I went back to Danielson and continued working. And then that happened again. And I went back again and met with them again. And they said that I was still too bad. I was unrepentant that I needed to go back. So I went back to Danielson and kept working. And then in 1993, one of the leaders came with Gene Spademan to the shoe store and said, oh, we think you've repented and we want to take you out for lunch. So I asked my boss if I could go out with them for lunch. I was so excited that they were there that I just felt like I was going to get home and everything was going to be good and I could quit the job and go back and live in Jewett City with my family. So they took me out for lunch and they said, you know, would you like to go to England and prove your repentance? So I said, yes, of course, I would, I would love to. 
And so I went back to work and told them that I wanted to quit my job because I had the opportunity to go to England and then go home to be with my family, my children especially. And so after I had quit the job, the leader that worked with Gene Spademan started calling me in the night again, telling me how bad I was, asking me about the sin I was committing. Wasn't I committing this or that? And got me to confess to sin that I wasn't doing. Gene said, well, you're too bad. You, you can't come to England. You can't stay at my house because you're too terrible. So I had, I had quit my job, so I didn't know what I was going to do. The lady that lived above me in the apartment building I was in said she would help me. And she was so nice and lent me her car and let me go different places to look for a job. She took me out for lunch and dinner and really helped me to keep a positive outlook. So I did find another job in the next town at a mill. And there just happened to be a bus that went from Danielson to the mill and dropped me off at the mill because I didn't have a car. And so I got the job and was earning even better money than I was at the shoe store. And then after working there one month, I was at the mill one day and somebody came into the mill and said, oh, there's somebody outside who wants to speak with you. And so I went and asked my boss if I could go out there. And it was the leader that worked with Gene. And he asked me if I was ready to repent and go to England and prove my repentance, went through the whole scenario again. And I said, yes, I just want to get home. Yes, I'm ready. And I would like to go to England and prove my repentance. And Jean was in the car and she said, well, I feel like you're ready to repent. I said, well, that's wonderful. I'll have to see if I can quit my job here and talk to my boss and everything. So I did. I talked to my boss and he was like, what are you doing? You know, you're a good person. Why are you doing this? And he said, I don't think you should go. And he was so nice to me and uh, really was trying to get me to stay, but I wouldn't listen to him and um, quit my job there, went to my apartment, and my ex-husband took me to the airport, and I went to England by myself, and someone from Bethel Church picked me up at the airport in London and took me to stay at the head pastor's house there in Mansfield Woodhouse, England. And when I was there, I stayed in a small room off the kitchen, and his office was right across from my room. So he was in his office quite a lot, and the phone started ringing in the night, and he would call me in and ask me questions about my sin, and this went on for uh, quite a while. And they had my ex-husband come over in the summer in June of 1993. And he would barely talk to me. He was staying at Jean's house. So 
They made him feel like he was a great leader and this great man. And in the house where I was staying, the leader called me into the living room one day and said, you are the worst person that has ever stayed in my house. He said, you're going to have to get out. And he said, you're going to go stay at so-and-so's house. And she has a son that's just like you. So you can be there together because you're both alike. So they moved me over to this lady's house. She was married, but she was by herself. And she had at least two sons. And one was there, and they had accused him of lust. And while I was there, I would walk during the day, help her with housework, pray at night that I would be repentant, that God would help me. And I was just mentally exhausted. My mind was just so tired. After I had moved in there, I was called to Jean's house one day. And there was a group of people sitting around the table and my ex-husband was there and Jean was saying, well, you know, what, what are we going to do with her? She can stay in the room off of my kitchen. And, and I just got really scared that I was going to have to stay there and, and just kept quiet. And my ex-husband said, well, I think we should just drop her off at her apartment in Danielson, where she came from. And Jean said, yes, she needs to go back where she came from. That's, that sounds really good. That sounds right. Meaning that's what God would want. So the next day or two, they took me to the airport and I started planning what I was going to do after I got to the airport. I got on the plane and sat by myself. My ex-husband was on the plane too, but he was in another part of the plane. I didn't know where he was. And when I got off, uh, there was a lady from the King's Chapel with a van to pick us up. So I sat in the very back of the van. She and my ex-husband sat in the front and um, they dropped me off at my apartment and my apartment was closed. I mean, my ex-husband just said, you need to repent and don't even call me until you've repented. I went upstairs and knocked on the door of another lady that I knew in the apartment building, and she let me use her phone to call the shelter to see if I could stay there because she had company. And she said I could come back and use her phone. So I called my cousin also who lived in New England, and she said, call me back in a few days and we'll talk again. So she listened to what I said. I told her my situation and everything as best I could. And I went and stayed at the shelter. And then my cousin's sister had talked to a family member of mine who offered to help me. So my cousin got me to the airport and they got me on the plane. And then I went to visit the member of my family that helped me at that point. And after I got to my family member's house, I thought he would call me back and I would go home and everything would be okay. And he did too. So I stayed with that family for about a month and they helped me get into counseling. And the counselor one day said to me, I think there's something really wrong back there in Connecticut. I said, you do? 
And all of a sudden, it was like a light bulb went on in my brain. And I said, so you think there's something wrong with them? And he said, yes. Uh, I was in a church similar to that. It was very controlling one time. And I was a new Christian and just wanted to serve and love the Lord and got into this church. And the pastor was trying to control everybody and tell them what to do. And um, he said, that's what it sounds like. So after that, I contacted my ex-husband and he didn't want to hear anything about it. He didn't want to hear anything about the counseling. Well, he listened, but he believed that the leaders of King's Chapel were right. I was wrong. And uh, any letters I sent to my kids or packages, he, he mailed them back. And I wanted them to come out or move away from there. We could have a new start. He wouldn't hear anything about it. So one day, the next January, well, I got a job and got a room in a house with a couple other ladies from the church I was going to of the counselor. And I was out in the yard raking one day and a policeman pulled up and he said, well, I'm authorized to serve you these papers. And I thought, what in the world is this? And it was divorce papers. And so my ex-husband was serving me papers to be divorced. And after all I was doing, I just was doing everything I could think of to get back to my family and get back to my children and be the person I I felt I should be in God's eyes according to them. And then um, at that point, I knew that there was something wrong there. I did believe the counselor and believe that they were wrong. And But I had to go back to Connecticut and go to court and try to get visitation. And when I got visitation and would go see the children, they wouldn't allow the kids to come with me. So I tried to do that, and then the divorce went through, and the court had issued another way for me to see the kids, and my ex-husband countered it by not showing up. The judge said that I could meet with the children with a psychologist. Well, he blocked that and didn't allow that. He said that I was not a fit mother. So they didn't get to see me again. So I tried different ways of seeing the children, but they blocked it. I I tried getting back with him and um, meeting with my lawyer said he would go with me to meet with the leaders of King's Chapel and my ex-husband. And after I had said that, then they said, no, they didn't want to meet with me. It just seemed like anything I tried didn't work. They kept the children, they kept the house, they had everything, and I was on my own. So I got back into teaching and ended up in North Carolina and met a wonderful man that I'm married to now. And I'm very happy and I still believe in God. I believe I got myself into that cult that God didn't get me in there, that I got myself in there and my ex-husband and 
God has been very gracious to me through the Lord Jesus Christ, and He shows His love to me all the time, and and His grace and mercy and kindness, and I try to show that to others. And two of my relationships with my children have been restored, so I'm very thankful for that. And we have a growing relationship, and just so thankful.